0: 2 Kings chapter 2. As we do our series, continue on with what we're studying this morning. Uh, Following up with that, 2 Kings chapter 2 as we're talking in 2 Kings 2. If you need notes for the Bible study this evening, raise your hand. The ushers will hand that to you. Let me commend while we are just getting ourselves organized here. Thank you for playing the piano, Meredith, for going, jumping from song to song when we do favorites. Thank you, Kevin, for running through that computer so quickly and keeping up with us so that we, that would help us out. Appreciate those people and the instrumentalists. Those song services where you don't get an idea what to practice for, they're more difficult. And Thank you for those who are involved with that. We are going to be studying this evening in 2 Kings chapter 2. If you weren't here, join me as we just read through some of the text again so that we get a scene for what we're talking about. In 2 Kings chapter 2, it came to pass when the Lord would have taken up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord lives as thy soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down together down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha, and they said, Do you know, I'm paraphrasing, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from you this day? And he said, Yea, I know it. Hold your peace. Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And he said, as the Lord lives and as thy soul lives, I'm not going to leave you. So they went together to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho, they came to Elisha and they said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from you today? And he answered, yea, I know it. Hold your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Tarry ye here, I pray thee, for the Lord is now going to send me to Jordan, to the Jordan River. And he said, As the Lord lives, and as thy soul lives, I will not leave you. And they two went on together. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view from afar off, and the two prophets, Elijah and Elisha, stood by the river Jordan. Elijah took his mantle, wrapped it together, and smote the waters, and they were divided from one side to the other, so that the two went over on dry ground. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I be taken away from you. And Elisha said, I pray pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. Hmm. You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so unto you, but if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and parted them, divided them asunder. And Elijah went up by this whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel, the horsemen thereof. And Elisha saw Elijah no more. He took hold of his own clothes. He rent them in pieces. He then took also up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan and he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from Elijah and smote the waters and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they divided hither and thither, and Elisha went over on dry ground. And when the sons of the prophets, which were to view at Jericho, saw all this, they said, the spirit of Elijah does now rest upon Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. I wanted to continue with what we were talking about this morning, this story, and just develop it a little bit different. And I was thinking and reflecting upon this, how this kind of affects in our lives and the way we normally work. I don't know about you, sometimes when we travel, we look ahead and we say, okay, we're going to get a spot, and we're going to get a hotel, and we're going to stop there for the night, especially if we're headed to the Midwest. We don't travel through the night and do 24-hour traveling anymore. That's for young people. We don't do that. We stop and we get a place. And usually we want to say, okay, does the place have some of the amenities that we might like? Is there a pool? Is there an exercise room that we can look at and see and say, oh, that's nice, but never use? Is there anything else? This summer, it so happened that Tony and Christina were vacationing it was a little bit of an overlap, so we connected for one night in Chicago, and we had planned ahead that when we get there, we picked out a place that it had, you know, the pool so we could go swimming. It had a pool table so we could teach the kids that. It had, you know, a little basketball court. It had a, a play area that we thought would be kind of cool. And so we, when we got there, we wanted to play with some of those things, or we'll look and say, is there something in the area that's around there that we might use and, and visit or or sightsee, or do something. Or when you do business, you pick a place that you say, okay, these are comfortable, but you don't typically stay in the hotel the whole time. You typically are doing something else. Now, in this case, we were enjoying that hotel. It was a wonderful evening until the fire alarm went off. And then everybody had to vacate the hotel because somebody had used their microwave and burned their food and set off the whole alarm system. Those things happen. And so when we do that, we get in and we get, or we had to go out, we get back in and then we again enjoy the amenities. Usually when we travel, and probably the same as you, those hotels aren't where we're going to stay the whole time. We're going to do something if it's there and have the amenities, or we're like I said, see the sites, or if it's a business trip, we're going to do the business. But we use the hotel and it's okay, and we enjoy the hotel. But the one thing that we don't do if we're stopping, and maybe you're a little bit different, but I think most of us, what we don't do is we don't typically, if we're there for a night, unpack and put everything out of the suitcase and put it in the dressers. Most of us live out of the suitcase. We're only there for a short time. I think the same way that sometimes when we travel through this earth we have to remember we're only here a short time. Yea, 70 years seems long when you're 15 years old. But it's really not that long when you get around 70. And when we think of 70 years in light of 700 years, 7,000 years, it's really a short time. And it's okay for us at times to enjoy this hotel of life. Enjoy some of the amenities. Enjoy some of the sights, and, and interact with some of that. But we have to keep an eternal focus and not unpack and make this as if this is our long term home. It really isn't. We are here for but a short time. We sang and I gotta admit, Travis is extremely clever to get five or six songs with one request. Okay. But it's this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. That is a truism and so many of us struggle with keeping that eternal focus. Elijah was one of those folk that didn't. He had that focus, he knew, he kept it in mind and in this story this is the time that he leaves this earth and he goes. We made these observations this morning that his home going was extremely unusual. Nobody else in scripture got taken up to heaven by this fiery chariot whirlwind. That's very unusual. And that was a great honor for him. We made this other observation that, that his home going was well known. Now this is an important thought. He knew it. You look at verse 1. You look at verse 10. He knows some God, somehow God revealed to him and also Elisha and also all those other prophets that were, were student prophets. They all knew. And Elijah knew that he was going to leave that day and he says if you see me when I go. So there's an awareness. Now that's unusual too. Most of us don't know when the last day is going to be. But he knew that. The part that really fascinates me is he was extremely calm in this whole text. He appears to have this confidence, this calmness in light of the fact that he is going to be leaving this world very quickly. Now I don't know if there's an occasion that it doesn't seem to reveal that he knew how he was going. That, he's, we, that doesn't say that he didn't know or did know, but despite if it was the fact that he didn't know, he doesn't have any apprehensions. He's prepared, he's focused, he's headed that way, and he has a calmness of heart. We alluded to this this morning, just a little bit about that calmness, and are you ready? Let's rephrase it this way. If you heard from Jesus Christ, and you found out that tomorrow evening at 6 p.m., the rapture were going to happen, and we were going to be taken away, what would you do different in the next 24 hours? What would you do? Would you go to work? I wouldn't because it's my day off. <laughs> okay. Would you go to school? Would you all of a sudden say, I've got to wrap up some things. I've got to see some people. I've got to get some things set and right because the Lord's coming back tomorrow at 6 o'clock. Well, Elijah knows when the Lord is coming. Well, he knows he's come back that day. He knows it's happening. It's interesting what he does in light of knowing his life ends in the next 24 hours and how he, what he does, how he prepares for that home going. And I find it extremely challenging and interesting that this man who is aware of his last 24 hours, he is active in certain areas and certain things he's concerned about that you and I should be active and concerned about day by day by day. What did he focus on? Well, let's take it. Let's, let's study it for a few minutes so that when the Lord comes back for us, it'll be a great home going. One without regret or one without, without shame, but rather one that we can say, God, I'm so glad to see you. I am ready. Here's what he did. Number one, he labored in the Lord's work. He labored in the Lord's work. What do I know from this text is this idea. In his final day, his final days, I think there's more than one day involved just by what we'll share with you in a few moments. That there's these final days and knowing that he's going to be leaving, he is still busy in the Lord's work. He is active. He doesn't say, I need to get that one vacation spot. I've never seen the pyramids. I need to do it before I go. He doesn't do that. Instead, what he does is he focuses on visiting the schools of prophets. It makes it very clear in the text that he goes and visits a couple different schools. There's a school in Bethel. There's a school in Jericho. We don't know if there was one in Gilgal. According to some other extra biblical literature, there was a school in Gilgal where he starts. But we know of two that he visits. These were schools of prophets that were started under the under the rule, the leadership of Samuel, the prophet that we studied in the last weeks when we were in that book of Judges and beyond. That Samuel started this training ground, this Bible school, this seminary courses. That he was he would be teaching young men how to serve the Lord. Remember, the priesthood was was somewhat in upheaval. Remember, during this time, the the peoples who were up in that northern kingdom, they weren't able to go and travel necessarily down to Jerusalem. So they needed to be taught. How would they learn? How would they worship? And so he starts there. Or Elijah is the leader apparently of these schools of prophets did they include the 7,000 that never bowed the knee to Baal? Remember what I'm referring to? In 1 Kings 19, I and I only am left, and God says, no, there are 7,000 that have not bowed. Were some of those 7,000 part of these schools of prophets, some of these young men? Were they part of the 50, the, the 100, the two groups of 50, that Obadiah? The prime minister to King Ahab had hidden and put in caves because of the persecution against the prophets of God. We don't know who they were but what we know know is that they're called the sons of the prophets. That is the idea they're trainees. They are descendants of the prophets. They are young men preparing for the ministry. Young men preparing to do the prophets work and when you go into the next couple chapters and read there are more prophets that are ministering than just Elisha who is remaining. There are other prophets as well. And so are they part of this group that Elijah has been training? Probably so in his last days what he does is he focuses on going to them and teaching them and visiting them these would be places where they teach them about the word of God these would be those Old Testament seminaries those Old Testament schools that they would learn more about the law that they would learn different things about how to walk with the Lord like some here who had gone to a different Bible college or different training grounds not only did we learn the academics but we also learned practical things some of us had those courses In Bible College, some of us in those Bible Institute classes that you've taken that we offer, like the Christian home, how to share the gospel, how to develop your prayer life and and, uh, disciple somebody else. Well, that's what they're learning. And Elijah had a lot to offer. Remember, Elijah is one of those who in the Old Testament, he is uh, one of those who is an example even to us today about how to pray. Well, he could be teaching them. He could be teaching them how to proclaim the Word of God the way he did. Foretelling. That is declaring, preaching the word of God. And so in that last day of his, his life, that last few days of his life, he's investing by visiting these schools that God has told him to go visit and to be able to interact with those young men, those people studying for ministry to give them some words of encouragement, some details to help them out. And so he's laboring in the Lord's work. And when you think about this, he's investing in the lives of others who will succeed him. He knows he's leaving, so he's preparing, he's mentoring others. He's doing exactly what 2 Timothy tells us. That what he tells Timothy, that what he, Paul tells Timothy, he says that you take what was committed to you and you commit that to faithful men that they may be able to train others also. It is that idea of me investing in somebody else who can turn around and invest in somebody else, who can turn around and invest in somebody else. I'm a recipient of some of that. I have been benefited and so have you from some who in generations before they taught some individual who then taught another individual who then taught us the word of God or who pastored us when we were young or who trained us in just the initial Bible study that we had. And that's what, he, that's what Elijah is doing. In his last days, he's still investing in the lives of others. Instead of saying, this is my time, this is my day, it's about me having comfort and fun in my last days. No, it's about me leaving behind investment in others who then can invest in others. If we ask ourselves, what do we want to be doing if we knew the Lord was coming back? The answer should be found, we should be found laboring, not loafing off. We should be found busy in the Lord's work. We should be found in the sense that doing ministries that will last forever, doing ministries that will outlive us, training somebody who's going to be the next generation, the next teacher of those those preschoolers, the next individual who's going to be the next youth pastor, the next individual who's going to be the next leader of the youth group. We should be investing in the lives of other people as we're, we're moving on, moving out, or ending up our life. But it might be ending your life in, before you finish college, ending your life before you move to a different place. So, when we start looking at this, one of the areas that I want to encourage you in is consider investing in the lives of young people, younger than you, where you can invest in them because they're going to outlive us, typically, normally. And if the Lord tarries, they need to have the investment of older teaching younger. What we, we want to do is train others in the word of God. What we want to do is train others to do the ministries, not say it's my ministry and I'm the only one that can do it, but rather teach others. Pray for others. Pray with others. Teach them help them to learn how to pray. Get involved with helping other saints to grow. This idea of is, is this This, to me, is is a passion that says as we get older, we shouldn't quit ministering. We should still invest in the lives of others, not retire from serving in in the Lord's work, but rather keep on investing, keep on training, keep on teaching, especially as time goes by, you have more skill sets, and you can help train the others of us who need that training. Let your testimony be this. That you are laboring until you can't labor anymore. That's what Elijah did. That's as he's winding down. He is still investing in the future in the lives of other people. John Wesley did a lot of circuit riding preaching. He was asked one day, what would you do if you knew you had only three days left? I should do the work which I have been doing minister in one place, meet the needs of my preachers in another, lodge here or there until this, my spirit be called back. In other words, he wasn't going to change what he was doing because he knew what he was doing day by day was the Lord's work, what God had called him to do. He was just going to continue doing it. Now, your calling may be a little bit different than his. Your calling may be begin investing in your kids. Your calling may be investing in your co-workers that they learn, that they hear the fa- of the faith. But you follow and say God I'm going to labor in your ministries and your work and that which will outlast me even if I know my days are numbered so be it. I'm going to use them for the furtherance of the gospel. If you knew you had a short time let me tell you something else that Elijah did. Live according to the word of God. Live according to the word of God. It is interesting in his life. We could go through text after text, which we have been doing recent weeks, and we would see this repeated. The Lord came and spoke to Elijah and said, go here, go there. And Elijah rose up. Elijah did as he was told. Let me just illustrate what I mean. In chapter 17, God says, Elijah, after you have told Ahab that there's going to be drought, I want you to go to Kareth. He goes. He sits there for a period extended and the brook dries up and he's uncertain where his next drop of water. Then God tells him, I want you to leave. I want you to go to Zarephath. There's a widow there that I want you to minister. He goes to Zarephath. Remember, Zarephath is not his native territory. This belongs, this is the hometown of wicked Queen Jezebel. But he goes there. Remember God said to him after a while go show yourself to King Ahab it's been three and a half years after the drought. King Ahab has you on the ten most wanted list. He's been searching for you. It's time you go and tell show your face to him. That's serious stuff. This is dangerous. Turn yourself into the king who wants to kill you. He goes as God has said. God tells him that he's supposed to have a contest. And he has this contest on Mount Carmel with all those other prophets. And in the midst of that he prays and he says, Lord I've done everything according to your word. I have set up this sacrifice according to your word. I have slain the animal. I've built the altar. We've doused it with water according to your word. I'm doing exactly. It doesn't make sense that you're going to send fire down and burn up something that's soaked with water, but I'm doing it according to your word. We read that the word of the Lord came to him 10 years later and said, go meet Ahab when he had stolen the vineyard from Naboth. He goes. And the first time he see, they see each other in 10 years, Ahab looks and says, you're my enemy. And yet he did. He did exactly what God told him to do. When God told him, now Ahab's son Ahaziah is on the throne, he's worshiping and going after Beelzebub, that, that false god. Go and meet his messengers and tell them to give the message that Ahaziah is going to die for that. He does. He goes to that man and tells him the message. And then he's up on the mountaintop and Ahaziah sends those soldiers after him, for one group of 50 and then another group of 50 and the third group of 50 to arrest him, to take him away. God protects him. That sends fire for the, upon the first group and upon the second group. But when the third group comes, remember the, the captain bows before him and says, have mercy upon us. And the spirit of the Lord says, or the angel of the Lord, go with this captain. Even though they've come to arrest him. Ahaziah wants to get rid of him. He goes with him into the palace of King Ahaziah because God told him to. Resoundingly, time and time again, this man does what God wants. Now look at this text. He says in verse 2, Tarry ye here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. And then the end of verse 2, they went to Bethel. Look it down a few verses later, a couple of verses later. Elijah says, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And then it says at the end of verse, so they came to Jericho. Look at verse 6. He says, again, Elijah says to Elisha, tarry, I pray thee, here, for the Lord hath sent me now to Jordan, to Jordan River. And the two went on. Time and again, even in these last moments, he is listening to the Lord to do whatever the Lord tells him, even at this point when it's going to be a difficult moment. He continued to do exactly what God said. Now, for that to happen, you have to have close fellowship to know what God is telling you you have to have a close communion with the Lord and I mentioned this already, we know this guy from the New Testament is the example of praying and having fellowship we know that God often spoke to him this morning I put a whole half of the screen with verses how the spirit of the Lord spoke to him how the angel of the Lord spoke to him how the Lord spoke to him time and time again he had close fellowship, he could recognize the voice of God he understood that but when God tells him to do something now at this point it required some personal effort. There is going to be some personal sacrifice. So what I mean by that is this. is He is going to be told you're in Gilgal go to Bethel. From Bethel go to Jericho. From Jericho go to the Jordan River. If we were to map this out we would find that we don't know where he started. Did he start in the capital city of Samaria? I don't know. But we find out that he ends up going to Gilgal. That's where he's at, where the story begins. He's either there or he travels there. And then from Gilgal he's told you have to go to Bethel. From what we understand from maps that as the crow flies, we're talking 59 miles that he's got to travel. Then he's told to go from there to go to Jericho. He's got to travel another 65 miles. That doesn't seem like a lot except for he's not flying. He's walking. Okay? And remember, this is air miles. This is as a crow flies. This terrain is up and down. This terrain is, is very rugged. It means that they're going to add extra miles going through different ravines, going around places, crossing the rivers, and then he's told to go to the other side of Jordan. That's going to add another 90 air miles according to Google Maps. So in other words, in this last few days, day or whatever amount of time it is, he's traveling some 214 miles. The typical walk that they say as people in that day would typically walk around 20 miles a day if they were traveling. So we're talking a number of days going on that that he's doing what God had told him. Now consider this, that he's here and God says go here, then God says go here, and then God says go here. After a bit you would say, God, make up your mind. Where do you want me to go? He doesn't do that. He doesn't question the Lord. And what I find amazing is that he is going to go as God directed despite his age. Now, we're never given his exact years other than he is older than Elisha. The indication is he's an older man. And so he's traveling these miles We also had the indication that we think what it is is where it says that Elisha poured water upon his hands is the idea of giving him some physical relief. Probably many conclude that physical relief is because his fingers are suffering from something potentially like arthritis. Which if his fingers are having a problem what what do you obviously think about other extremities? They're having problems too. And now he's traveling like this. He's going where God has said, do this despite your age. He's done a lot of traveling already. He's done a lot of journeying already. He's done a lot of trips for the Lord. He's made a lot of visits to this place and to that place. And he's traveled here before with the school of the prophets. He's obviously traveled hither and yon to meet the kings, to challenge them, to go and recruit Elijah or Elisha. So this man, despite traveling for God, God is saying, go, go. And you've got to think that he knows he's almost done. In our mind and, and thought is, if I'm done, it's my, it's, I'm in my senior year. I've got just a couple weeks left. It's almost like we're going into coast mode. We're not going to really... I remember my senior year in college, they used to say this. If you, had a, if you had a certain grade point average running in that senior year last semester, you didn't have to take any file, uh, final exams. You could coast through. Therefore, you didn't have to... Study it all. They stopped it the year I was graduating. They reinstituted it two years later. But our mindset is, I want to coast. I'm, I, it's Friday afternoon at work. I want to coast. Okay, it's the weekend. I just want to slide through. He's not doing this. He's not saying, God, wait a minute. You know, I've done this before. And besides, God, God I mean, think about it. I, at any moment, I could collapse on the road. You know, This could be dangerous stuff for me. This is dangerous because of the territory I'm traveling through. There are thieves. And God, God I just don't understand. You, know, I went to, you told me to go to Gilgal. I was there and you said go over to Bethel. I went to Bethel and you, please Lord make up your mind. When is enough enough? He doesn't do it. He does exactly what God says. What it means to me is this. He didn't get into that mode that I got into when I was a teenager. When I got my license, my license in my mind indicated that I not only had freedom to drive, but in my ungodly mind, I wasn't saved at the time, and in my selfishness, I thought the license also meant I no longer have to listen to my parents. I am free to come and go as I please. Now he doesn't come to this point. Elijah doesn't come to the point that he says, okay, I, I'm going to throw an age out. I'm 80 years old. I don't have to listen. Okay, What does an 80-year-old have to do? Whatever an 80-year-old wants to do. That's not his attitude. That's not the way that he looked at it. He said, God, if you're telling me that I need to go to these towns, I will go to these towns. Is it difficult? Yes, it's difficult. Is it, is it strenuous? Yes. Is it going to take several days? Yes, it would. It would be traveling, traveling, traveling. And you know how you like traveling by foot in different weather and climate. It could be difficult, but he's doing it. He is living according to the word of God. Even in his final days, he is doing exactly what God said. Then number three, do this, like he did in this text. He not only labors in the Lord's work, he not only lives according to the Lord's, the Lord's word, but he loves the Lord's people. He loves the Lord's people. He is extremely considerate and careful and investing in the lives of these these folk that he could be ministering to. Now, there are individuals that when they're wrapping up a job, they not only wrap it up, but they want to, you know, wipe out other people. They don't finish well. There are some families that at times when they're getting into those years where, okay, it's time that the kids are moving out, they don't finish those moments well those last weeks or days in the house they become blow ups. It is true that sometimes when people get older they get a little bit more senile and snarly. My grandmother was extremely snarly in her last days. They had to tie her hands down. I told you this before. She was the sweet epitome of a grandmother, but she got so mean she would hit people and slap people who were in that same facility with her. She would take their food off their plate and accuse them of stealing from her. She just plain got mean. We ministered to a lady years and years and years ago. We ministered to a lady that as she got older, man, she got just more and more selfish. And we would try to talk to her about it. My wife would try to talk to her. I'd try to talk to her. But she would tell us at times we don't understand. She had two adult children. That the two adult children, they, one was, was trying to follow the Lord. The other had, had just gotten away from the Lord. And she felt compelled to constantly berate that they're not doing enough for the Lord. The one who was trying and the other one who was away from the Lord. And she would send some of the nastiest notes to her adult children and rebuking them, thinking she was doing the Lord's work. Instead, her spirit, her, her weekly, I shouldn't say weekly, her, it was like a three times a week she would send letters to her one child saying, you are going to die, you're going to burn in hell, you need to have faith like I have faith, you need to love Jesus, the Jesus that I love, he has made such a difference, otherwise you're going to burn in hell and roast forever. And she would say it that way. It didn't go over well, not at all. And it was in those final days that they were dealing with some issues and they were dealing with, uh, with the father's physical health. And I remember clearly going to the house because the the adult children called and said would we come over and try to mediate their conference with their parents. Because mom was getting so hard to deal with. So we went over the house, we're trying to mediate things, trying to keep it calm and she is just saying some things that are and they said mom We've got to put dad here in the downstairs room. He cannot go upstairs anymore. No, 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 I don't want my house messed up. No, 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 we need to bring a hospital bed in. No, 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 I don't want that. I don't want the smells. I don't want the bed. If I get company, nobody would come and visit her. But if I get, besides us, if I get company, you know, I don't want to have a bed in the room. And it's like, please, he needs for his well-being. He's going to fall down the steps. He's going to be injured. And so finally, the son in exasperation said, Mom, fine, we'll just stick Dad in the garage outside. And she looked at him in all seriousness and said, Well, then what would happen to our car? It would be left outside. With that, the son and daughter grabbed their things and left. We grabbed our things and were ready to leave as well. What do you do with somebody who is just so mean Does it ever happen? We all know of some elderly folk that can get mean. And you know what the tragedy is? The scary thought is? That might be us without realizing it. We could be there too. Well, Elijah's in that moment where he's, it's, it's, you know, final days. And in his final days physically, it's amazing how he was so compassionate. It wasn't about him. I think probably his week, his last month of the senior seniors high school, he was probably that type of kid that even though he is now a, becoming a graduate, he wouldn't think it's all about me. He strikes me as an individual as he would be walking out on a workplace. He wouldn't say, "I've got to take my final shots and just let him have it." You know, he's when he's winding down his life. His graciousness just exudes. It pours out of him. What, it, what it happens is he lives the biblical idea of loving others in his last days. Watch what happens. Okay, He allows a closeness with others. He doesn't want to separate from others. Instead he has a real closeness. You think this through. He and Elijah as I mentioned this morning, they've been real companions for 10 years. At this point, Elisha as we said this morning, he doesn't want, to, want him to leave. He's hesitant. I think his cry, my father, my father, reveals his hard attitude towards him. I believe as well his last request where he says, let me have your double portion is, I want to be like you. I want to have things that you had. He highly, Elisha highly respects Elijah. And there's a, there's a real valuing of the young man towards the older man. They developed a close relationship, a close friendship. Here is just something that is rare. But something that is so critical, an older man developing a friendship with a younger man to help mentor him, to help encouraging him, to help him to grow in the faith, to invest in him. And that's what Elijah does. Even though he's the master, he's the teacher, he's still investing He's allowed a relationship despite all the differences. And I showed you this morning a lot of their differences. How they were physically different. How they were socially different. They were financially different. Their their way of dealing with people was different. How they talked to the kings. And yet this man who was different from the younger man still allowed and developed a relationship with him. A friendship with him. A mentoring moments with him. Showing a concern. Do you you remember what I'm talking about here? In the passage, he has the concern by visiting the schools. Going where the young men are being trained. And he goes to them. This concern is so rare. I was reading a story about a man who showed great concern for even a family member who was younger. This story goes where a preacher, Alan Emery, talks about how he was traveling a lot, going out and speaking and holding meetings, and he would pass through this one town, and he would ride this one train, and he developed a, a friendship with one of the conductors slash porters on the train. And uh, when he was done with, after preaching one time, he was riding on the train and they were t- he was talking to the conductor, Porter, and he was saying where he's coming back and the man said, you know, uh, Pastor Emery, what I'd like to do is I'd like to talk to you. Do you have a few minutes afterwards when all the passengers are off that we could talk? Passengers are off and they're talking and the the conductor is sharing with them. He said, I grew up in a home. There was just my my, uh, mother and my younger brother and I. Our dad had died a few years before. My mom was working so much. My mom was a saved woman. She loved the Lord. She prayed for us and she prayed for us and she prayed for us. And I, as a teenager, I responded, I got saved. And I knew that I was born again, and I knew my mom was praying for us that we would go into ministry and preach the word of God. And I had a desire. I I thought I had a a desire for that, and God was leading. So I decided that what I was doing is I'm going to get a job, and I'm going to help mom out financially. And so I took a job on a train. And eventually I worked myself up to this position, thinking I'd work here for three, four years. And then what I would do is save my money and then be able to pay for Bible college so that I could help mom out, at the same time save the money and then go to Bible college and go into ministry. So I did that. And as I was working you know, I got this promotion and it was fine, it was great, I still had my plan but my brother, my younger brother, he didn't follow in those same steps. He got into all kinds of carousing. He got into drink. He got into all kinds of wild things. And my mother and I would pray for him regularly. We'd try talking to him and sharing with him, but he was just so obstinate. And he said, It was in my last year of my plan working on the train. Next year I'm headed to Bible college. He said, My brother went to church one Sunday, surprised us, he got saved. And all of a sudden he was a transformed figure. Totally different. And he said he was a young man out of school and kind of without purpose, but he really believed God was burdening his heart that he would go into ministry. And he seemed to have even a clearer calling from God than what I did. And so he asked mom and, and myself, is there anything, any ideas that how he could get off to go to Bible college and study the word of God and, I thought to myself, the conductor said, I have this money saved. I was going to Bible college. He doesn't have a job. He, we don't want him to drift back, and he doesn't have anything real set. I'm going to take what money I had, and I'm going to invest in him so he can go to Bible college. And so I paid for him to go. First, I was just thinking a semester, but it did well. He was growing. I did a second semester, a third semester, a fourth semester, and I kept him in Bible college that period of time. Not saving my own money for myself just because I couldn't. College was expensive. This is years ago. Okay? And so he said, I invested in him. He got done with college and got done with seminary, and he began ministry. Within his first year of ministry, several hundred people got saved through his ministry in a major city nearby. And he said I was just so compelled I wanted to invest in his ministry and help my brother out. So uh, I kept on investing in him and I put a little bit aside, a little bit aside for when I would go off to Bible college and as the years passed all of a sudden I took care of my mother who got ill and I couldn't you know, use that money to go away. Now I was caring for her. My brother was having a fantastic ministry and years just went by as I cared for my invalid mother and now here I am at middle age And Pastor Emery, I don't regret what I did investing in my brother's life. I don't regret what I did helping my mother out, but I just have one question for you. Will I get any crowns and any blessings and any well done for having helped my brother who had a major, major ministry of winning thousands to the Lord? Now, you and I would say, yes, he did. But in that story, what amazed me more is a brother investing in, in the college cost of another brother? Unheard of in these days, is it not? To have that type of an investment attitude. Now that's what Elijah is doing. He is giving, he is showing, he is loving his brother, his son in the faith in this one. And what he does, he shows that concern by visiting the school. But going on, he even says to Elisha, ask what you would of me. How many people have you walked up and said, Is there something? Ask whatever you would. I'm willing to do it. Now we say, Let me know what I can do. And we kind of hope they don't. I know that's harsh, but that's a reality at times. We kind of hope that they don't because we got plans to do something. What if they said to you, Well, I really could use help and it conflicts with your plans to do something special next week? And all of a sudden, they ask you to help and you can't go hunting. They ask to help and you had a shopping planned. They ask to help, would you give up to invest in some young, young, younger person's life that you could minister to for ministry's sake? Here's an example of somebody who says, I'm concerned, not only to help him out, but his emotions. I, I really think this is the text where he says to him, he says, Hey, um, Terry here. I'm going, God's leading me to Bethel, stay here at Gilgal. No, I'm not going to stay, I'm not, as the Lord lives, I'm going to be with you. And they go to Gilgal, to Bethel, and at Bethel, he says, God's sending me to Jericho, I want you to stay here. No, as the Lord lives, I'm going to come. Uh, they get there, and he says, I'm going to Jericho, God's leading me to Jericho, I want you to tarry here. No, no, no. Why is he asking him, why is he telling him, tarry? Terry here. Now here's what some suggest. Some say Elijah wanted to know if Elisha was faithful. I'm not convinced of that. They've had 10 years together. He knows what the guy is made of. This isn't a test to see are you really going to be faithful and follow with me and stick by me. I don't think that's the case at all. Some suggest this. That Elijah wanted time alone with God. I'm ready to meet the Lord. I need to have time alone and I don't want anybody around me. That doesn't make sense to me either because he keeps on going to the schools of the prophets. He goes where there's other people and it seems like he is ready even when he's walking with Elijah. It doesn't bother him when he's taken up that they were walking together. I think it's more of this. Why is he saying stay here stay here. I think he's concerned for Elisha's feelings. Elisha's going to see me depart. This is hard for Elisha. And I think that whole passage, this is my, my take on it, Elisha's struggling. Don't talk about my master leaving. Don't talk about my master leaving. He's battling this. And Elijah is being sensitive to Elisha's emotional needs, his emotional battles. Because Elijah knows that he's dependent, that they're close, that, that they have a great relationship. So you got to ask yourself, wait a minute, do we love this way? Do we love where we allow others to get close to us? Do we love in such a way that we foster mentoring friendships with some underclassmen? You're the senior. You've gone through more things in high school and you should be having a closer walk with the Lord. There's some, there's some kids coming into the youth group that haven't a clue what church is like. Do you go out of your way to befriend them, to help them? to let them know, you know, that you, you're going to pray for them. You know, you're, you're mature, you've got a family. You look around and you see some that are just, you know, coming in, young, young adults, they need encouragement. Do you do it? You who are older and experienced, do you mentor some younger family families? Do you help them? Do you encourage them? Do you consider the feelings of others with what you say? I know there is a mentality that says in America that that's just says I am going to say what I think because we do it on Facebook. We do it on social media all the time. We th- show, throw in whatever we think. Therefore, we're used to being able to speak our mind. I'm not so sure biblically we're supposed to speak our mind. In fact, I know biblically we're not supposed to. We're supposed to guard what we say. Are you sensitive to other people's feelings? Are you considerate of them? Do you watch if they're struggling and you express and you are concerned about their emotional battles? Do you extend yourself to encourage others in a personal way, going out of your way to talk, to encourage? Do you drop notes? Do you drop letters? I know we're busy. I'm too busy to write a note. Have you encouraged the missionaries by saying, I I want to develop a contact with them, a friendship with them, to let them know that I'm praying for them. They're in the midst of of the battles on the front lines and I want to help them out. When's the last time you contacted them personally? Do you show this compassion and you say, here's a man in his final days, he is reaching out to others. He is trying to minister. He is trying to visit you know, what about your visiting? What about your time? And again, I say this so frequently and I can't get away from it. You know, and I struggle in my mind. I say, I know we elect deacons and we choose them, that one of their main jobs is to help with the widows. But I read in James chapter 1 that it's not just the job of the deacons to visit the widows. True and undefiled religion is this, that you visit the orphans and the widows. This is your last week. Are you involved, let's say? Or would you say, i got to change some things. It, it should change even if this is, your, you know, it is not your last week, but you say, that's important. I've got to do those things. AND NOT THROW SOME OTHER SUBSTITUTE, LIKE, YOU KNOW, WELL, INSTEAD I DID THIS OR INSTEAD I, YOU KNOW, I THOUGHT ABOUT THIS OR I GOT BUSY AND, uh, YOU KNOW, I SING IN THE CHOIR OR I TEACH SUNDAY SCHOOL, AND THAT'S A SUBSTITUTE THAT GOD IS GOING TO TAKE BECAUSE IT COMES FROM ME, COMPASSION, COMPASSION OF MINISTERING, THEN NUMBER FOUR IS THIS, IN HIS LAST MOMENTS HE WAS LEANING ON GOD MORE AND MORE AND MORE, HOW DO I KNOW THAT? Well, he's leaning on God in his, his departure. He doesn't know exactly when it's happening. When you see me go, if you see me go. Okay, he's relying on God. He knows that the Lord is taking him, but in this, it's God's timing. It's relying upon the Lord. And what, I stri- what strikes me is, I want to help you, Elijah. I want to assist you, but what you're asking is something I can't fully do myself. If you see me depart, it should be to you. But this has got to come from God. The only one who can give you the double portion is God. And I've got to be able to let go and trust God to work in your heart and your life. I'm saying goodbye to the men at schools. I'm leaning on the Lord that the Lord is going to guide them in the future. I'm leaning on the Lord that whatever I've invested, it's going to succeed me. It's going to live beyond me. But I'm relying on the Lord to do it. And Elijah I'm, Elijah, I'm relying upon the Lord to take care and give you whatever you need to do your ministry. Double portion, that'd be great. But it's got to be God working. And so what you have in this whole thing is a man who's just relying upon the Lord, zealously wrapping up his life, finishing it out in his last moments, saying, here, I'm leaving. It's going to be a phenomenal departure, but when I leave, I'm going to leave with a clear conscience. Because I'm going to labor for the Lord. I'm going to live according to the word. I'm going to love as God would have me to love. And I'm going to lean upon the Lord the way I'm supposed to lean on the Lord. And I'm leaving. And I'm not going to regret it. And his home going, it's no surprise to God. He's relying upon the Lord. His home going is something that he can get ready and be ready for. He has an idea the Lord's coming back. And as we said, he's just doing these four things we've talked about. But there's something else that just we want to keep in mind to remind you and me this. The homegoing of God's servants is, the, is when our work is done. We're not going to be able to add to our, our rewards before the Lord. It's in this lifetime. Now, do we continue to labor in, in heaven with, under the Lord's leadership? Yes, but our position, our responsibilities are dictated by what we do in this life. And so as he's winding down his life, he is finishing and running the race well with great zeal. And not just going through the motions. I was reading the true story of an individual who was a prisoner. He was a criminal character in Britain. And his name is Charles Peace. And he was this you know, seedy character, he got, finally got caught. They did the trial, and they, because of all the, all the different crimes he was involved in and, and the atrocities of this latest crime, he goes before the judges. They find him guilty, they sentence him to hanging. The day of the sentence comes, and he's not a believer, he is not a religious man, but they send in a couple preachers to be with him in his last moments. And so they're there, and as they exit the jail, he's looking at one of the preachers. It's early morning. He said that, you know, that the account reads that that one preacher, several times he was yawning, he looked kind of like, okay, so I'm here, and I'm doing it. And he started reading something. And peace is following behind him, and he's listening to this man read, according to the guards who were there that wrote about this afterwards. And the preacher's going through the motions and Peace finally taps him on the shoulders and says, what are you reading? The preacher was caught off guard. He, nobody usually taps him on the shoulder at this moment. He turned around and, and he saw it was Peace talking to him, the prisoner. He says, well, I'm reading from the Gospels. And Peace asked him, he said, do you believe it? He goes, well, yeah, I believe it. And Peace was quiet for a moment. And then he made this comment to him. He said, you know, if you really believe it, You should read it as if you believe it, because these are my last moments. If I believed what you believe, preacher, I would be zealous in sharing that truth with people like me and others. I I don't believe it. But if I believed what you believed, I would think to myself, it is so important, this eternal message That even if all of England was covered with glass, I'd crawl across from one one side of the island to the other to make sure everybody heard it. And they would hear my voice, not just mumble through it and go through the motions. If I were you, I'd be zealous. Now here he is, a man with his last few moments, giving advice to a believer on how to serve the Lord. But he has a point. You and I should zealously serve the Lord As if it is our last moments. As if it is somebody else nearby us. Their last moments. We should be dedicated. We should be loving. We should be laboring. We should be leaning upon the Lord. We should be serving with the most of all of our energy to the best of our ability. So Father, help us. Help us in the days ahead to do just that.